Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 133 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, you know I love and adore you, right? Let's start with that. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. You're not going to like the next part because in the middle of a pandemic, I have to deal with daily texts and virtual messages of your aches and pains. I'm feeling all right, Brian. I'm just been, I've just been at home stewing in my own worries, so uh, there's nothing much else to do. Well, look, it, you have a tongue thing that you had for months now that you, 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 it flares up, I guess, that you bring up on a regular basis. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm doing okay with that. I, I honestly think it's a tooth that keeps biting on my tongue and making it feel crappy, but um, I can't really go to the dentist now, can I? And, well, and, mm, mm, I mean, if you thought it would be an emergency, perhaps, but I, it definitely does not sound like No, one. no, the dentist would say you're an idiot, just stay home. <laughs> That's what the dentist would say. Uh, I would love to hear that one go down. Um, but all things considered, things are going well for you, I hope. Things are going well on this side, too. Uh, we're hanging. We're talking about tech. We're talking about the paranormal. We have yet another great episode lined up. Um, first things first. Uh, second things second. Uh, I'm trying here, Angelo. I'm trying real hard. Yeah, I see uh, Brian's friend's story is on the uh, list of things to talk under tech. Yes, I was talking to my uh, friend Alex Manley recently, and he was telling me a story uh, that was very amusing. So he is a freelancer, so he works from home the majority of the time. And he had mentioned how about a month ago, someone had rung his doorbell and uh, tried to sell him uh, music and or a book. So this was a rapper who um, had a uh, album on a business card to sell, as well as a book of poems. Well, funny enough, the first or second year we lived here... uh... A young uh, lady came to my door and uh, gave us uh, information about her band. Kind of cool. Did Did you uh, check them out? I don't remember. Okay. I think I went to their website. It was kind of neat right. that they, they were going door to door, like, like a salesman in the 50s. So uh, Manly did purchase the album. So he uh, this person also had a machine with them in order to process transactions. So he bought a digital version of an album. And I listened to some of it. It is awful. I do not want to shame this artist because who knows? Someone else might like it. But uh, suffice it to say, it's not the cream of the crop. Hmm. Cream of the crop. How would you feel if someone came to your door and tried to sell you something like that? It happens more often than one would think in 2020. But like art specifically? Yeah, it doesn't happen that often. More often than not, it's uh, either Bell, or, uh, one of the telecom companies here, or uh, it's uh, so, uh, like often it's like a spa place or a massage place trying to sell coupons. And um, like I said, only once has anybody come to sell their music or give us an idea about their band and stuff. So, uh, but I mean, art is good. I like art, but it doesn't happen that often. When you were in a band, did you ever think about doing that yourself? Not at all. But oh, I was lazy. That's why trying I'm not to picture in a band you anymore. going door to door is so glorious in my mind. You trying to drum up conversation, try to sell yourself. Now nobody wants to go door to door at all. It's true. The guy who delivered our groceries this morning basically like ran up the stairs, dropped the groceries, and left. He was very friendly. He said hello and all that, but he's like, "Stay away from me." Or that was the look he gave us. We also recently ordered food, and I told them because I live in a building, right? So there's a vestibule, so we told them to leave it in the vestibule, and I went down there and I I waved to the guy and I thanked him and everything. Yeah, they then they're definitely not going to accept tips or anything. Well, not not physical cash because at one point we're like, oh, why don't we give cash? And you know, know it wasn't to be. That. No, exactly. So I'm I don't know how long I'm going to be doing the whole ordering groceries thing. Their website seems to be working better now, but once I'm I'm thinking once we're past our peak of cases, which hopefully will happen in the next two or three weeks, I will start going back to groceries. Um, I I was thinking about this before. A lot of life is going to go back to normal in terms of local life. Like kids are going to go back to school. We're all going to go back to work. But international stuff is going to be weird for a long time. 
I agree. Like traveling is not going to happen much. Even traveling between different provinces in Canada, definitely travel to the U.S. is going to be very strange for us. Uh, Our borders closed earlier this week. Apparently, uh, troops were amassing at the U.S. border, uh, but not Canadian troops, American troops. And there's a whole uh, thing on Twitter. What are those called? Hashtags? Um, it was trending on Twitter. Oh my God, we do it. We do a tech podcast. Yeah, no, I'm being silly, but it was trending on Twitter that uh, what uh, no Canadian or anything like that is going to leave or whatever. Yeah, it was. I remember the hashtag exactly. Speaking about hashtags, the very confusing thing right now for me is like, um, so I have Twitter open, right? And uh, Godzilla is trending in Canada, but when I click on it, it's all of these people. Like when you click on the top tab, saying Godzilla is trending, and I don't understand why. And it's literally just people saying that over and over and over. So I don't understand where this is started. Yeah, see, Godzilla is not showing up in my trending uh, trends for you. Uh, trending in Canada, LCBO, which is I guess the Liquor Commission Board of Ontario or something like that. What's that? Is that what it's yes, for? Yes, correct. Um, Apple for some reason is trending, which I'm curious to see what that is. Um, let's see. Apple is trending because uh, $1,000 will be deposited. I don't know what this means. Anyway, something about Apple, but it's stupid that it's trending. It makes no sense. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Angel, let us go from the present to the past, my friend. Something that you and I like to do is uh, sort of like uh, uh, talk about things that we grew up with and things that we enjoyed. And recently, I fell down a bunch of YouTube holes. So last night, I'm not ashamed to say I watched people play uh, through the first three <laughs> Tony Hawk Pro Skater games. Well, the first three, even. <laughs> yeah, that I, was uh, so. So that was almost two, two and a half hours. I only really played number two. Okay, I, I played one and three. So together we make the full trilogy. <laughs> we do. I had it on the Dreamcast. Oh, wow. Ooh, even better. I didn't know you wanted a Dreamcast. I don't think we've talked about this. Yeah, I got a Dreamcast when the price of it plummeted after the PS2 was announced. Oh, I see. And um, I got a few games really cheap. And uh, I don't want to say it, but I had a lot of games that my friends uh, gave me. Because oh, they, I see. Yeah. Okay, right. Yes, yeah. yes. I understand what you're saying here. I think one of my favorite games, actually, on the Dreamcast was Crazy Taxi. And another thing that I had on the Dreamcast, which, uh, I mean, now I have via RetroPie and uh, actually on the Switch, but a bunch of old video games, old Nintendo games and old SNES games all running in emulation on the Dreamcast, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's interesting. Very illegal, obviously, but... Yes, exactly. But uh, kind of cool. A uh, disc with like uh, three, four, five hundred games on it, which is kind of fun. So speaking of three, four, five hundred games, uh, I remember being able to go to uh, your local like computer retailer and buying like a share disc that had like 250 to like 500 games. Oh, yeah. I remember getting those at... Uh, I used to go to Radio Shack. There was one basically on my way home from school. And I would pass by every once in a while. And they'd have like little sleeves with a... Uh, at the time, high-tech CD-ROM in it to, <laughs> right. um, to pop in. And I, I was one of the... I had like an early adoption of CD-ROMs. I think I've mentioned this before, but it, on my um, 16 gig... No, God, not, definitely not gigahertz. Sorry, 16 megahertz. Is megahertz? Yeah, 16 megahertz. Really slow um, 386 SX Magnavox computer. I had a one-speed CD-ROM with a CD caddy, if you know what mm. that is. Yes, living the dream. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I played a lot of those games and you uh, brought them up and it brought back some interesting and fun memories of um, fun share games. 
Yes. You gave me a list, and at the top of that list is Commander Keen, and that was a game that came with my Sound Blaster. Really? Yeah. And once I got that Sound Blaster, life changed for me, Brian. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't like the, the, the monotone bleeps and bleeps that you're used to. Those are the sounds basically coming out of the uh, <laughs> PC speaker. Yeah, compared to actual music, very yeah. confusing, right? Oh, yeah. I remember uh, popping in uh, Wing Commander 2 for the first time, and there was the like orchestra thing at the beginning, which yeah. was really impressive. Although I will say Wing Commander took up uh, the majority of my 50 megabyte hard drive. I was going to ask, like uh, beyond that, though, like I, I was never a big Wing Commander fan. When did the FMV start with that? I think Do you remember? Four or five. Okay. Mark, so Mark Hamill. Hamill's, yeah, Mark yeah. Hamill. See, we said at the same time. He was doing a lot of that kind of stuff in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, another game I played a lot of with friends was Scorched Earth. Ah, yes. Which uh, I think you would say Worms was then based on it, sort of, if you know what I right. mean. Yeah, right? I, I, yeah, I guess so, yeah. So these little tanks with different uh, weapons that you could use to blow up other tanks. But then right. that's kind of what Worms ended up being, which is another... I, did that, Was that a Sherwa game or no? I can't remember, honestly. But uh, Worms was quickly, one of the fun games I played. I think it was not a shareware game, though. So that doesn't count in this discussion. I apologize for bringing it up. Let's circle back to Commander Keen for a sec, because that game has a surprising history to it that not everyone may know about, right? I actually knew about it, though, when you asked me. You must have been very it's, it's, impressed. I was, I was a little surprised, yeah. So uh, what had happened is the guys at It's Software, so the Johns, uh, Romero and Carmack, basically uh, created a proof-of-concept um, port for Super Mario Bros. 3 for the PC and presented it to Nintendo, who passed. But then they kind of retrofitted a lot of what they learned in terms of uh, graphical capabilities in order to create Commander Keen and using that kind of uh, the, their money, their profits, they then were able to create uh, three years later something way more massive and successful, which is, of course, another share where stalwart doom and you just reminded me that i was wrong uh, commander keen did not come with my sound blaster it actually came with my gamepad that i bought <laughs> oh i apologize yes yes i apologize i'm the one who lied to you i lied to everyone brian i'm oh, I was being sarcastic about me apologizing to you oh, okay well i i am actually apologizing i thought of it because if it was a proof of concept for super mario Bros. 3 it didn't control like Super Mario Bros. 3, no, right? Like the controls no. on PC. Very hoppy. Yeah, and, and very stiff, like compared to Mario. I mean, you at that time, PCs could not really compare to the NES, even though they were significantly more powerful. NES games were kind of just more fun in, in yeah. some regard. PCs had their place, and there were games you couldn't do on a, on a Nintendo like you could on a PC. For example, something like the Quest game, Space Quest, King's Quest, Police Quest. All those games were way better on the PC, obviously. They, but other games, um, any Mario game, obviously, you couldn't get anywhere. But stuff like Zelda, Mario, uh, those types of games, side-scrollers, Castlevania and stuff, you couldn't really play those well on the PC. There were Castlevania PC games, but they were kind of garbagey. Yes, they are, yeah, very blocky. Um, same thing with Mega Man. Like, I had Mega Man on DOS. I got that for free for some reason, and it was awful. Um, that was Ninja terrible. Turtles, the first one? The first one? Ninja Turtles? Uh, yeah, the NES. Uh, like, it was like a, a part of the NES game, which was not great. Yeah, um, you couldn't compare yeah. them. But then no. you'd get stuff like Doom, Duke Nukem. Yes. Uh, obviously. Well, so Duke Nukem, the side-scroller, right? Like, a lot of people forget that the first couple of games were all that. Oh, like, side-scrolling. Same thing with um, Biominus, right? So all these games by uh, Apogee Software, where basically, like, you go collect items, you shoot things. Same thing with Hocus Pocus, kind of a, uh, a you know, a take on that, too. Um, they ran and on the also, Commander Keen engine, basically. 
Yeah, essentially, like if you look at those three games and those three franchises, like I enjoyed Biomenace the most because, of course, it has to do with aliens and killing aliens, and I was very, very in, in, into that. But though, I don't know if you remember what the the main character looked like. Like, go ahead and Google him. He's very, very mullety. Biomenace. Yeah, just go ahead and Google it. Uh, you're bringing back weird memories. I remember playing this. Oh yeah, I totally remember this game. Yeah, great big old mullet. Yeah, he sort of looks like Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does actually. Uh, and then of course, so yeah, those three. And then of course, I mentioned Doom before, but before Doom, Wolfenstein 3D, um, uh, Epic Pinball, I played a lot. Uh, Wacky Wheels, which was kind of like the the poor man's Mario Kart. Yeah, and the Wolfenstein the 3D and the Wolf. I sound like and the Facebooks. And Wolfenstein 3D really brought about this whole new era of games, um, moving on to obviously Doom, but then more obscure games like Rise of the Triad. Yeah, which I played a lot of, right? Yeah, that was like cool ninja stuff. Yeah, a lot of a lot of fun guns and stuff. Like you got a machine gun in there. Heretic was another one, very similar, yep. uh, except like you're in a graveyard and it's more magic. Stuff. Magic. Yeah, and then same thing for Quake, right? Which is another id software thing. Yeah, and Quake uh, obviously became the the most important one because of all the tournaments and stuff it started yeah and then um uh raptor called the shadows which was a a shooter like i don't remember that but you could buy like in between missions you were able to like level up based on like the points you scored i vaguely remember that one this okay. is, those aren't the games i played the most there is one game that i fondly remember and i think it's called star control it's a space okay. game it was on one of those thousand uh shareware type uh, cd-roms obviously mostly shareware games were basically distributed on three and a half inch floppies so you could fit dozens and dozens and even hundreds on a cd-rom yes exactly which was a bit different i remember getting dune like on several like uh like floppies and then uh but the majority of them yeah were from these like shareware compilations that we would somehow get um uh you know here and there most games let's be honest at the time were not really bought. They were traded by friends. Sadly, I didn't have a lot of pirates who were able to, to hook me up. No, I mean I, I'm older than you, right? So like, by when once the '90s hit, I was in high school, so we were able to like copy and stuff like that. Do, do you feel like this is like a very special episode of Double Density? Like you should warn people about the dangers of piracy. We'll uh, pop in that video here. Don't, Don't copy, copy that, that floppy. floppy. Yeah. Don't copy that floppy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we have a bumper with that somewhere. A double density PSA. Don't you dare copy that floppy. Nor copy it, who cares? Double density. Uh, one of the other games too that I got on Shareware um, was Descent. Do you remember that? The shooter in the spaceship? Like as a first person sort of like navigation thing, but the thing is like a, it was like a zero G kind of thing. Yes, and I played it a little bit. It's not something I spent a lot of time playing. Now, uh, there's something you're going to mention soon that I did spend a lot of time playing. I don't know when we're going to come to that, but uh, I think you're looking at all this shareware stuff led you to another rabbit hole on YouTube, didn't it? Yes, it did. Uh, one of my favorite games growing up in a game that I never had on shareware, because I don't know how that would work on shareware, but is uh, The Immortal Prince of Persia, which you and I both share a fondness for. <laughs> when I thought when you, I think you were switching up on me because The Immortal was also a game. Oh, yes. No, 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 no. I I figured like uh, a game like this, right? I felt like uh, I needed to, to share this 
um, in in a very reverent kind of way, right? So uh, Jordan Mechner, uh, creator of uh, Prince Persia, and uh, a very interesting man in general. Like I find his way of talking very soothing. So Ars Technica has this series called War Stories, where they basically interview a bunch of video game creators about, um, and the structure of the video is um, a problem that they encountered that was very specific to their game, and then um, the solution to it, right? So uh, Rand Miller, a co-creator of Mist, is on there. Uh, Andy Gavin, who co-created Crash Bandicoot, explained how he uh, manipulated the uh, PlayStation. Um, hardware in order to get what he wanted achieved um but i started off with jordan mechner prince of persia the apple II, the og version of prince of persia when i watched this video i realized i knew a lot about the history of prince of persia for some reason i knew about the whole uh, rotoscope thing how he well here why don't you explain what the rotoscope thing is for prince of persia uh mechner filmed his brother uh, jumping and running and doing the different actions of the prince and then kind of drew around it to create what you see in the game. And that's why the animation seems so fluid for such an early game. It's kind of insane when you watch the game and you watch the gameplay footage. You're like, wow, this is incredibly fluid moving for the time, right? But then, yeah, like you were saying, like it's just it was a very particular way and a very special way of, of doing things, right? Because a lot of people who have tools at disposal now don't understand how thirty years ago how things would work, right? Because the thing is, like, uh, you didn't have a good way of importing video footage into a video game at that point. Yeah, and a lot of us played that game without a controller. Yeah, keyboard for sure. Yeah, arrows, keyboards, oh, arrows and keyboards. That's what we use, Brian. I, I remember being I said Brian's my friend's basement and playing on a uh you know on a two color cga oh boy no i actually had it in color uh, and i played the later version i played it in the 90s i played the pc uh dos version not uh, the original apple II. i didn't have an apple II. yeah uh, i didn't have that either i played it at my friend's place on the crappy cga and then also on super nintendo right so one of the greatest success stories i feel like is the way in which this game was ported over and over and over again um to a variety of platforms and it finding um, uh, a lot of success amongst a lot of different people because of this, right? Because the thing is, the Apple II was kind of dying out by the time Prince of Persia had hit its stride. And, you know, in terms of like uh, uh, pivoting, I think it was very smart to port that over um, the way that it was done. Yeah, it's one of the games actually that I remember being um, excited to try with my Sound Blaster and then realizing there wasn't that much uh, sound to it. But it was still kind of cool when we watched the video on uh, YouTube of, uh, was it Ars Technica, you're right? The yeah. War Stories thing. You, The sounds they use, there's the sounds from the game, and it really brought back memories. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned the sound effects, right? Because what do you got? You got like jumping, the door slamming, hitting buttons. Like there's not a lot of music, right? Because Mechner didn't have a lot of room for music. No, uh, the sound of when you die or whatever, that weird. It's like a, a strange, uh, it's a few notes that are played, right? Um, but... Yeah, he didn't have space, and that's how uh, part of... Well, you'll, if you watch the video, you'll see part of the mechanisms of the game came from that lack of space. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of fascinating the way in which people work with constraints, right? And I find that always fascinating, and I think that is something that comes up um, throughout these Ars Technica videos. Like, there's a video about how the co-creator of Command & Conquer um, uh, explained the concept of pathfinding, right? So when you tell a bunch of troops to go from point A to point B, how do you get them to do that without, like, crashing the computer through... Um, you know, how many complex calculations need to be made. I can't imagine having to deal with the antiquated hardware back then and make a game like Command and Conquer and having all those commands and uh, having the troops do what you actually want them to do. It's kind of mind-boggling because now 
you have more power in your phone. I mean, we bring this up all the time, right? But it's still impressive how they were able to achieve what they did. And it's Prince kind of, of Persia yeah, is really a good example. It really is crazy the way you think about like how exponentially we have had the ability to have hard drives and, and memory and graphical capabilities grow and grow and grow. Well, I can't imagine using a computer without the internet now, but in the 90s, I didn't have no internet. There Sometimes wasn't I would really love internet. that, though. Let's be honest. What? Sometimes I'd love that, though. Let's be honest here. Not having the internet? Yeah, just being able to do computery things on a computer. <laughs> you just put that computer song in my head, Brian. Computer. <laughs> uh, it is a, a great treat, but yeah, the idea of like dis- like disconnecting from it kind of sounds nice right now. Yeah, especially now with all basically bad news happening and everybody's horribly wrong hot takes on uh, everything going on. <laughs> Do you find like you're spending more or less time consuming media? Well, I went for months and months without going on Twitter, and I'm on there every day. Yeah, and uh, welcome back. I have like a one p.m. appointment with our uh, our. Uh, our premier every every day to hear what he has to say about what's going does on. Does he know about this? Does he know about this appointment? Or I think like he knows day? that everybody's kind of watching him at that time. Right. But everybody seems to be watching press conferences that would never normally be watched at all. All right, Angelo, uh, since people are trapped at home, more or less, um, in North America at least, uh, for the next little while, I would like you to recommend or suggest um, a, a piece of media that they should be partaking in that what? is not our podcast. Why did you just drop that on me right now? Hold on. You can take a sec. It's called editing. Well, speaking of video games and how they're made and stuff, if you have an Apple TV Plus subscription, watch uh, Mystic Quest on there. Is that the Rob McElhinney show? Yeah. Okay. It's really good. I'm enjoying it. I I don't know who he is. I never watched Always Sunny in Philadelphia. There's a few people actually from that show in this. Um, And um, it's really good. Really funny. Could you find a friend who'd be able to hook me up with some CDs? CDs of that? Yes. Uh, maybe, I guess. I'll, I'll call, make a few calls. I'll put them on CD-ROM. You can watch them on RealPlayer. Perfect. Yeah, the uh, .rm files. I think we've talked about this, but I, uh, as a teen, I was able to track down some uh, G1 original Transformers uh, episodes off of a website, and I had to use a, a downloader helper program because i was still on dial-up but yeah yeah, i think uh, you've mentioned this yeah 36 meg episodes just imagine that i remember being so excited to download those do you remember those psas the uh, the gi joe ones ones? yeah yes and they were basically postage stamp sized on my computer super grainy but i laughed and laughed because i thought they were great well they were Uh, they were really funny but still my wife and i were also recently discussing keyboard cat keyboard cat yeah remember keyboard cat yeah vaguely so there's all these videos now that I've, I was able to share with her where a keyboard cat plays off people, right? If they're doing something wrong, it's just, this is where I'm at right now, Angela. I think that's my recommendation is go find play them off keyboard cat compilation videos. I have a recommendation. There's this website called YouTube, Y-O-U-T-U-B-E.com. Yes. Lots and lots of videos on there. Including the Ars Technica one about uh, Prince of Persia, as well as the, the, I think there are 18 episodes right now of uh, War Stories that uh, you guys should go check out. I really enjoyed each and every one of them for very, very different reasons. And even if they're games I'd never played before, I still found a great delay in watching them. I I didn't notice the dates on those things. Are they recent? Are they still recent? Yeah. Okay. Within last year. Yeah. Okay. And of course, there's always GameSack. If you want to watch old video game stuff. Yeah. GameSack. The video game history guy. What's his name? Norm, the gaming historian? Yeah, the gaming historian. I like him a lot. There's also World of Long Plays, which is where I was watching my uh, my Tony Hawk playthroughs. Great. I, I'm um, sure some people listening to this are like, oh, guys, just get to the paranormal. This stuff is boring. 
But no, it's fun. Video games, old video games. That's where it's at. Although right now, new video games, Animal Crossing, super charming. If you have Doom Eternal, super charming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you have uh, an island you want me to come visit, uh, DM me on the Twitters. Yeah, because now you're on there. You can actually check your tweets and yeah. your DMs. Yeah. Great. Angela, I feel like we've talked enough about all video games. It sounds like people want us to move on to the paranormal side of things. So let's go ahead and do that. All right. It'll be spooky. I promise. What can space be? What can it be made of? What the heck is all those lights out there? Is it just a black curtain with holes in it? I don't know. I'm trying to find out. Double density. Welcome back to Double Density. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. And uh, this episode, Angelo, I'd like to talk about something that I found just, you know, perchance as I was, uh, you know, uh, wandering around the the tubes that collectively make up the internet. And uh, I'd like to first um, uh, presuppose something. Angelo, you would agree that we live in a pretty litigious society, right? Uh, depending on where you live in North America, some Let's are just more North than America others, but yes. Let's just say North America, right? Yes. Okay. And you'd feel like this extends to many areas of our lives, including our domiciles. Does that mean home? It is. Yes. A place of residence. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Angela, today I'd like to talk to you about a concept known as stigmatized property, my friend. What is stigmatized property mask? It is a concept in real estate where property has somehow been tainted and maybe shunned by prospective buyers, Angelo. Isn't that where a house bleeds on its wrists? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Um, there are different types of, of stigma and I'm going to read a couple for you. Okay. Okay. There is debt stigma. So for example, um, and this is from Wikipedia, which I think does a great summation is a, for example, debt collectors unaware that a debtor has moved out of a particular residence may continue their pursuit at the same location, resulting in the harassment of new owners. That sounds awful. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's also criminal stigma, right? Like the idea is if you're running, uh, like a drug den or a brothel and people kept showing up to your door long after, um, you've moved out. Okay. Um, that's a sort of stigma, right? There's also um, a murder-suicide stigma, right? So there are certain places in the United States and Canada where you have to disclose the fact if someone has uh, uh, been murdered or has um, passed um, due to suicide. But not natural causes, right? No, natural causes, no, but murder and suicide, yes. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that. That happens here. Yes. There's also public stigma. So the idea of, uh, you know, uh, you're trying to sell the Amity Horror House, or um, they give another example here, which is sort of dated, but that makes me laugh. The home of the Menendez Brothers. <laughs> that's that's so 90s. But some people seek it out, right? Like the idea of um, um, uh, Trent Reznor, of course, of Nine Inch Nails fame, who just put out two instrumental albums. Check those out. Um, and a recording inside of Sharon, Sharon Tate's house with, with Marilyn Manson himself, right? Oh, yeah, I remember that. The funny thing about the Amityville house is that that, that was all a hoax. That's the problem with that house. Yes. Uh, there's also minimal stigma. So it's a niche stigma, right? So, um, uh, you know, uh, a stigma that uh, only touches a certain percent of the population or something that, like, you know, a lot of people wouldn't care about, but some people would. And so you have to disclose that on a case-by-case basis. And Angelo, the one that I want to talk about today, of course, is phenomena stigma. What about buying used bunk bed stigma? Well, so I think that falls under a phenomenon okay. stigma, right? So, okay. and, uh, and if anybody's not sure what we're talking about, just look it up. Unsolved Mysteries, yes. Bug Peds, yeah. Scary House. 
Um, so uh, I had to look this up for Canada and the States, but many, but, but not all jurisdictions require disclosure of houses renowned for being haunted for ghost sightings, et cetera, et cetera. This is a separate category from public stigma because in some cases, not everyone is well aware of the fact that your house might be haunted, right? So people go out there and, you know, the Amityville house and, you know, there are other houses like the, the Enfield Poltergeist, like that, you know, series of apartments probably is well known, right? Yes, all um, hoaxes, but yes. Yes. Uh, but in certain cases, of course, these hauntings uh, are restricted to only like local lore. Yeah, or unless you have a uh, paranormal podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's that too, right? Um, so today I want to talk about when law meets ghosts. You know, law meets paranormal. And as I was reading one of the articles, I, I got thrown off. I, I literally thought they were talking about the movie, The Ghostbusters, and this was no. based on it. But then I realized, no, no, that's not at all what this is. No. It's so we're talking about a court case about known as Stambowski versus Ackley, which is also as known as, Angelo? The Ghostbusters case. There we go. This is a uh, New York State ruling from the early 90s all about uh, whether or not you have to disclose the fact that you uh, feel like your house has been haunted when you are selling it to prospective buyer. Something that popped up to me there was uh, Hudson River Valley. Is it in yes. the same area of all the weirdness that goes on there? There's a lot of that, yes. Like the UFO settings of the 80s, for example. Yeah, that, that whole area seems to be like haunted. Yeah, so like, <laughs> yeah I agree. Nobody's going to buy anything. So um, uh, Helen Ackley, her uh, unfortunately deceased husband, had bought the house. Uh, and then like in the late 70s, they even um, uh, been mentioned in a Reader's Digest article, which I dug up the name of, which was called Our Haunted House on the Hudson. So, you know, not very subtle there, right? <laughs> I wonder what the article's about. So uh, neither Ackley nor her real estate broker, um, Ellis Reality, had disclosed to buyer Jeffrey Stambowski um, the fact that these hauntings had happened, right? So there uh, is a series of three ghosts who live in the house. So think about that for a sec. Not one, not two, but three, right? It sounds like the uh, haunted mansion at Disney World. Exactly. So, uh, you know, uh, in the 70s and 80s, uh, before this house got put on the market, um, in the late 80s, there had been a, a number of things, right? So Stambowski puts down a down payment, and then he uh, finds out uh, all about these hauntings, right? He filed an action requesting um, the cessation of the sale and asks for his money back because he feels like the house was misrepresented by Ackley and Ellis Real- uh, Realty. Now, were there any laws against this? So I guess this is why it went to court to prove. Because I... <laughs> I, I kind of didn't read the whole thing, so I don't actually know who won the case. I oh, wanted tight. you to. Okay. I wanted. Well, no, I kind of wanted you to like spring it on me on the show. Oh, okay. So basically, um, what had happened originally is that they um, kind of used the buyer beware uh, law doctrine of of purchasing things, right? So he wasn't aware of the hauntings when he decided to put down the down payment. So the court had decided, well, guess what? Like, mm, it's not going to happen, right? So yes, yeah, right. So I'm going to continue. So the dissenting opinion, of course, said that uh, uh, buyer beware, Kevin Emperor enter um should not be applied in this specific way but then an appellate court reversed the trial court's decision on this and said that uh, haunting is not a condition that a buyer or potential seller can and should be able to ascertain upon reasonable inspection of the property right so when you're walking <laughs> the property you can't necessarily tell it's been haunted and uh, as such if there is a history of hauntings that is well documented in places like reader's digest as well as the new york times etc cetera, etc cetera, then in that case you know uh uh this should be disclosed if, you know, it becomes an issue. Yeah, because I know the uh, when I had my house inspected, when I bought it, the section under hauntings was left blank. Is, was there actually a section called hauntings? Please tell me there was. No, I'm sorry. There was <sighs> not. That would have been super been cool, though, right? Yeah. No, there was. So ultimately, um, uh, uh, Stambowski lost his deposit but was able to back out of the, the, the sale. Well, I mean, that's the point of a deposit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it did its job. So, Angelo, 
after this whole hubbub had happened, after Stambovsky had backed off, of course, there were a ton of offers for the house. Are you really surprised about that? Well, yeah, because it kind of becomes exciting at that point. So one of the potential buyers, Angelo, is uh, your friend of mine, the amazing Kreskin. No way. Yes, I dug up a New York Times article from 1990, so I'm going to quote now. Kreskin has gone house hunting in the past and has narrowed his search to something haunted. He wants a place for the memorabilia he has collected in a lifetime of doing experiments that come as close to demanding psychic powers as a man who says he does not have them. Finding his paycheck anywhere in an auditorium, even in a stuffed turkey, for example, is a place where he would find Kreskin trying to dig these things through. Quote, we thought we had one in Easton, Pennsylvania a while back, end quote, said his personal manager, Clinton Billups. So think about that for a sec. Kreskin, interested in buying a haunted house. You want some interesting uh, synchronicity here? Sure, go for it. This afternoon, I was reading a magic theory book, and there was a whole section. I just, the last section I read before putting it down this afternoon was talking about Kreskin and how he would it was talking about timing right and delaying things for a long time and people saying oh that that's probably boring but kreskin what he would do is sometimes for over half an hour would look for his check in the audience his well that's what i was saying before yeah exactly no but that's yeah. why it's like right so but he would actually take it out over like 30 minutes but people would still be on edge watching his every movement even though on paper right saying oh this guy's going to be looking for a paycheck for 30 minutes with uh, one of the audience members, but he was able to actually make it really entertaining. But anyway, it's just funny that you talk about a paycheck here, and I re- literally read about that three hours ago. <laughs> um, so uh, to note about the house, it was most recently sold in 2016 for uh, more than $600,000 above market value. Oh, above market value. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, from the area. Yeah. So in some cases, with some people, this whole stigmatized property angle actually is an advantage so funny you should mention that one of my favorite shows is the uh now defunct uh comedy central show nathan for you we've talked have we talked about nathan for you i don't remember you told me i look like him yes okay so yeah my wife agrees that you kind of look like him a bit um so he has a whole episode where he um uh so the concept of the show to those who don't know is that he goes and helps businesses in kind of ridiculous ways right so there's this one episode where he um uh meets with a fledgling real estate agent and his pitch to her is that she should start marketing um and finding houses that are haunted in to sell okay so he uh gets (laughs) he gets a priest he meets off of youtube to come exercise the house and they create this whole backstory for the house to see if they can start selling it because they want her to be known as the paranormal real estate agent nice she could even then get a show on uh tlc yeah exactly anyways it made me think of that where i agree in some cases it is actually a net benefit to sort of educate your buying audience about the fact that like this might be a haunted house not a bad uh, business model no. So, Angela, let us take a little plane no. or a large plane, depending on how you want to take it. Uh, fly across the pond. Let's go to the UK. We actually can't do that right now, Brian. No, we can't. But uh, let's talk about um, a case that um, had made waves in the uh, mid to late 90s over in the UK, shall we? Yes. So, basically, it's the Smiths uh, had moved into um, a, a house. Which is your favorite County. album by them, Brian? <laughs> None. I despise Morrissey with a passion. Okay. Sorry for so, interrupting uh, you, but the joke was there. I had to make it. It's okay. I will. Uh, I will deal. <sighs> so basically, there was this cottage in Upper Mayfield that had been sold to the Smiths by sisters Susan Melbourne and Sandra Podmore. Um, and to note, Melbourne and Podmore had um, never had a paranormal experience in the house at all um, when they sold it to the Smiths. 
um and so basically uh the smith started documenting a whole bunch of like history uh issues you know that um had come up um slime on the walls um pig face boys all a oh naked serving girl yeah so it's just uh it's kind of insane um and I do think there's actually a um, an Unsolved Mysteries segment about this because I remember this now that's coming back to me. And they had done a bunch of stuff. They had invited a bunch of people to come down and sort of like um, take a look around. And um, one of the things they had uh, tried to do is like walk through the house. And uh, also um, they were quite mad that due to the lack of disclosure, the Smiths had gone through a bunch of psychological torture and problems. Um, and ultimately this case was uh, thrown out of court um, based on the fact that like there's no presentable evidence beyond what these two people were stating. Well, that, yeah, that becomes a problem. If you want to get out of a sale, might as well just make up a ghost story. Yeah, exactly. So the thing, too, is that they'd then been rehoused somewhere else um, during this you know, tumultuous time. So the Smiths had moved away with their kids. Yeah, they, they probably just didn't like the house. Noisy neighbors and all. Yeah. Big face boys <laughs> throwing slime yeah. on their wall. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they had stated originally that they felt that their house had been devalued. Um, significantly due to the fact that, like this was getting around um, but uh, real estate speculators in the area in the late 90s because this court ruling happened um, in early 99 uh, basically had stated that like they're pretty sure these speculators had said that like the house would come back up in value so I wasn't able to find this exact specific house for sale or anything or like you know a, a record of sales but I'd like to imagine that like it kind of gone back up yeah for sure it, it, once something hits the news it could become exciting yes yeah, I agree. So this was actually the first case over in the UK since the uh, Middle Ages to be tried. Um, the Middle Ages? Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, Angela. So would you be interested in a supposedly haunted house? I'm skeptical of all that stuff. But if somebody committed suicide in a home or something, it would give me a bit of pause. It would have to be an amazingly perfect house for me to move in there. And you'd have to ask for less money. Yes, and and if it was a deal, right? Like that's great. Like I I moved out to the suburbs to get a deal, so I mean that's like scary for some people, uh, Brian. It's not scary. It's just inconvenient, Angelo. Yeah, but your life is your life is ruled by a train. You realize that, right? That is true. But n- now that I'm in the burbs, I mean, it's kind of I'm kind of happy I'm not in a big city. A big city that has the infrastructure to take care of people. I guess that's true. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, well, look, I, I moved out here basically to save money more than anything else. Right. But what I'm saying is like you would enjoy seeing a couple of shadowy figures at night when you're hanging out, playing uh, no, your, crossing alone. No, I wouldn't want that. It's not cool. I, I prefer my house unhaunted. Something uh, that That's I forgot to mention. That's why I don't buy bunch beds, Brian, especially used ones. <laughs> is that uh, for the Smith case over in the UK, they actually had a vicar come in who under subpoena gave evidence uh, that there was paranormal activity happening at the cottage. Oh. Really? Yeah. Mm. But the thing uh, about this and the kind of like the thing you need to understand is that uh, it was only based on a half hour conversation he had with the couple. That's enough time to assess a house's uh, hauntability. Yes. Uh, a, a half hour conversation with people you've just met is definitely a good litmus test to know whether or not your their property ha- is haunted. Yes, for sure. Uh, th- did he bring any KG meter or anything? No. No, sadly. No stud finders either. Too bad. That's how you find alien implants, Brian, not ghosts. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but you and I were just imagining the idea of having to to live with a ghost, right? Well, uh, on the show notes, you stated it as, what happens if you are in self-quarantine with a ghost? 
All right, so for example, I had a friend who just came back from Thailand and self-quarantined for 14 days. So just imagine having to deal with a ghost for 14 days while this is going on. I know he's going to get more frustrated with you than him because he's like, oh, I could usually roam around by myself during the day and I'm stuck with you. I have to haunt you all day. It's exhausting. So I feel it's the same as though like how my cat is feeling now because like <laughs> that's we're just... what I was pre- that's how I was pretending it in my head actually uh, <laughs> yeah but we're constantly harassing my cat now just you know pure love yeah my cat uh, I actually don't know where she went right now but uh, yeah she looks at us and wonders why are the giants still here during the day it's my alone time leave me alone. Poor cat actually must have had something in its eye over the last couple of days. You know when does it happen to your uh, your cat every once in a while where the eye like where one of its eyes kind of like tears up a bit and gets yes yes yeah we actually had that going on last week yeah it's like oh what's wrong with you and I, I've been told that's like a version of a cold for them or something uh, I'm not quite sure I'm not uh, you know a vet oh, welcome or a cat to the pet section of the double density podcast now known as triple density. Tell us if your snake has any problems. You can hit us up on Twitter, double underscore density. You can also email all of your snake troubles to double density podcast at gmail.com, which I will be rerouting to Angela's email address uh, very shortly. Now, uh, so what would you do, actually, if you were self-quarantined with a ghost? I would love it. I would ask it questions. I would uh, see if it could play tricks with me. I would allow it to scare me, you know, because I, I was one of those kids who loved hide and seek. So imagine how great it would be with a ghost. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't imagine hide, someone. Someone who could go through walls and see you. Oh man, I'm so into that. Would you would would you ever have to seek the ghost though? That would be really hard. I think it would be really hard. I think they'd have to come seek you, right? Yeah. Eventually. Yeah, exactly. But I'd be fine with that. I don't know. As to whether or not I'd buy a property, I would, my wife probably wouldn't. No, 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 no. She likes normalcy. I'm like I'm like the chaotic energy she needs in her life. Didn't you have crazy people living above you at one point? I always do. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there we go. And now they possibly could be carrying a deadly illness. I have a drug dealer neighbor across, um, uh, like from my doorway. His, how's his friend. business going right now? It's been quiet. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't asked. I'm not. I'm not opening that conversation up. But people are still showing up, and I'm very annoyed. Yeah, people should not be showing up anywhere. No, they should be staying put and not trying to, uh, you know, give into their urges too too much here. We have literally been told our province is on pause for the next. Well, it was three weeks. Now it's going to be two more weeks. I think it's going to be a little bit longer than that, but we'll see. Oh, yeah. No, no. I know it's going to go on longer than that because uh, that would be the prudent uh, course of action. We'll see what happens. Well, depending on how this all goes, yeah. But uh, one of the things I was uh, doing with my um, spare time is... <laughs> so the WWE has unlocked a bunch of content for free, including a lot of old pay-per-views. Okay. So I was watching uh, Royal Rumble 2000, and I was watching um, uh, uh, cotton candy sellers and popcorn sellers. And I was like, man, I could really go for some like movie popcorn right now. <laughs> Yeah, too bad you don't want to touch anything right now. No, that's where my mind goes to. It's just give me that sweet, sweet movie popcorn. Yeah, uh, yeah. Movie theaters are closed. So many things are closed. Um, but I, speaking of that, though, like this is kind of a preview for next episode where we may do a, a movie review of our own, right? Are we? I, I can't uh, remember. We'll see. Which we'll movie? See. I, do you remember? I remember. I don't know. Okay, tell me. Tell me off camera. Off camera. <laughs> okay. Well, I will whisper to you. Okay. Um, I will type it into my telephone. Great. Um, who is phone? But yeah, I feel who is who was phone? Like that is a ghost ghost type question, right? Yes, yes. Um, so if you were faced with the the notion of buying a potentially haunted house, would you ask for more or for less? Absolutely, one hundred percent less. The whole point when I'm buying a house is to try and pay less than I would. 
Uh, are you you're not moving this year are do you, you feel no do you feel like that insults the ghost though like if the ghost finds out that you've spent less than fair market value because of it it like does it get pissed off like super haunting you after yeah <laughs> just knocking everything not down. just like breaking glasses like breaking expensive stuff like oh your, all, like all the stuff iphone keeps falling off and like it gets removed from this case too yeah heirlooms like just smashed to pieces because of the you, you managed to talk the owner down by ten thousand dollars keep shuffling my cards face up and face down into each other (laughs) pay reverence to the ghost and all will go well which is why i was asking like on on the you know on its face the question of would you pay more or less is kind of absurd right because you're always as you're saying try to pay less but don't insult the ghost necessarily well i mean just don't it's like not insulting the 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 seller right no matter what so uh, one day you'll buy a house brian in my neighborhood (laughs) oh is this your creskin prediction yes and then we'll be able to record the podcast in person unless we're quarantined well, because you refuse to come to the city, but that's another issue entirely. Yeah. Uh, my neighbors across the street, their quarantine ends tomorrow. I mean, technically, we were sort of quarantined because we had traveled just the week before, but the quarantine started taking place a few days after. So we technically didn't have to be quarantined, but we haven't really left our house um, more than going for walks or anywhere. So uh, luckily, we have not been stuck with any ghosts. And if we have been, they're very, very quiet ghosts. This has been another episode of Cool Story Bro. I'm starring Angelo. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and feelings. Thanks. I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> but I do feel like this is a great place to end episode 133 of the Double Density Podcast. How does that sound to you? Sounds perfect. As I mentioned before, you can find us over on Twitter, double underscore density. Angelo, you can find Angelo Furin on Twitter because he now checks his tweets, apparently. And his DMs. Time to time, yeah. Uh, double density podcast over um on instagram and double density podcast at gmail.com uh for all of your you know uh ghost related needs also we're talking about snakes all your snake needs like Jake your snake, snake help needs we talked Jake about Jake Roberts. Snake, yeah. yeah he was mr uh, bio mr biomedicine himself exactly yeah i feel like we're chatting uh, like a really nice little bow on uh, the entirety of this episode here excellent job brian <laughs> angelo with that i will speak to you uh next episode we're you know we're just gonna try and figure out um how the world's gonna end in different ways great See you then. See you then, friend. <laughs>